belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for August 13th, 2023 is called Exodus for the Rest of Us. Ohana means family, and family means no one gets left behind. The teacher is Jennifer A. Cuff, and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. All right, good morning, everyone. I just feel like it's really loud. Okay, all right. He tells me no, it's not loud. Okay, um, if you don't know me, I'm Jennifer Acuff. Um, I've met most people in this room, I think, um, but I'm on the teaching team and um, am lucky to get to speak with you all this morning. Um, so for those of you who know me, or even if you don't know me, um, it doesn't take long for people to assume that I am a little bit of a daredevil. Um, I have kind of lower inhibitions sometimes, uh, and uh, a bit of an adrenaline seeker at times. Um, But that's only true when I can, like, see the whole stunt or the process or the finish line. Um, There's a lot of thought that goes into my um, adrenaline junkie behavior. Um, It's not quite as spontaneous as you might think. Um, And so when I can't really see how something's going to be accomplished, um, my fears tend to set in and uh, have some inhibitions there. So when I was young and taking gymnastics lessons, I remember my coach, Jim, Uh, explaining the new skill that we would be learning as a group, okay? So he'd say things like take a few running steps, then you're going to plant and launch your leg, kick up your back leg with your waist parallel and horizontal to the ground, keep your eyes forward so that you don't tuck your head too much, but just a little bit, and it's around this time that all of our little gymnast eyes would get very big, right? (laughs) And uh, and then he'd see us and and say and reassure us with, I'm going to be spotting you the whole time, Um, I've been there for every new skill. He'd then help us bridge our last applicable skill into learning the muscle memory of this new skill that we were going to cover. There wasn't an expectation to hear the instruction and get it right immediately, and there wasn't an expectation to reinvent the wheel every time we learned a new skill. Um, We were learning and building and trusting together. And so I'm not one to often subscribe to theological sports analogies, But I do think this one tracks with what the Israelites were experiencing in Exodus 29. So if you remember last week, Betty talked about the blood on the earlobes and the thumbs and the big toes. And I sang that title as like earlobes, big thumbs and big toes, big toes, right? Did everybody else do that? Okay, I did. Uh, (laughs) But we didn't sing it together, so I just needed to bring it up again. Uh, but the relevance of that that he talked about a lot was um, that there's a lot of symbolism, right? So a lot of the chapters in Exodus that we've been covering um, have uh, have a little bit of difficulty relating to sometimes because those rules are so specific to that time. Um, and it's hard not to see them as anything more than obscure, obscure rules sometimes. But um, like I said, there's a lot of symbolism there. And if you didn't listen to Betty's um, lesson from last week, definitely, definitely go check it out. Um, All of these rules and guidelines really point towards something a lot bigger, okay? And for the most part, I would say you could make the argument that it's pointing toward embracing and becoming um, God's chosen people. And so Shannon's been really encouraging us each week to look at the context of these verses. So Teresa read the verse, and it's just two short verses, right? Um, That's not the whole 
the whole bit, right? So, uh, so I want to talk a little bit about what's right before and, and what's right after. So chapter 29 is all about the consecration of Aaron and his sons to be high priests and ministers. And so these verses are containing very, very detailed explanations of what they're supposed to do in terms of sacrificing at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And specifically in this chapter, they're talking about burnt offerings. And there's a lot of different offerings in the Bible. Um, so I dig a little deeper into that, and I'm glad I did, because I learned that the burnt offering has significance because it's one of, if not the only type of offering where nothing is returned back to the people. Okay, everything else, like little things, get returned back right? Um, with this one, it all goes onto the altar and is burnt in its entirety. And then that pleasing aroma is what God is looking for, right? And, and detecting. So really, this whole chapter about the burnt offering is essentially symbolizing what Aaron and his sons are doing. And that is complete and total dedication to God. They're not getting anything back. It is the action itself of dedicating oneself to God. Okay, so that's that's all of that chapter, talking specifically to Aaron and his sons. But then we get to um, verses 45 and 46, and then that one is significant because it's no longer just addressing Aaron and his sons, addressing everybody, the whole group, okay? Um, and that's our focus this morning. Um, I'd say that that's really the first notable thing here. So although Aaron and his sons are the ones that are consecrated to serve as ministers and priests, there is still addressing of the entire group of Israelites. God doesn't hold back from communicating with all of the people, um, doesn't just communicate with the priests and expect it to get passed down and like, you know, hearsay, essentially. This is a pretty unique characteristic, though, of gods at the time and rulers at the time, right? We've heard the stories about how brave it was for Esther to walk into the throne room, right? Because even the queen is not supposed to have access to the king, okay? So this in and of itself was unique, okay? Nobody Nobody expected to be able to approach, right? There's a hierarchy, but it's approachable with God, and that's different. Um, so this further also de demonstrates God's willingness and desire to listen and care and really redeem the Israelites, which is something that no one in power had ever done for them, okay? Um, and this is super significant for people who've been in captivity for over 400 years, okay? Nobody had ever listened or cared for their pain or their suffering. And so the next thing that's really significant about the, these two verses is the declaration that God brought them out of Egypt and plans to dwell amongst them, with them, okay? So as our main, after our main verses, the guidelines are going to continue, um, but I think that this verse here, this, this declaration of dwelling amongst them is sandwiched between all of these guidelines before and after. Um, for a very specific reason, okay? So it's serving as a reminder that they're not doing these things and then getting God's presence, okay? There's many, many chapters of, of rules and guidelines. And I like to think, so, you know, probably, probably some of our uh, folks more familiar with the Old Testament and all of that would be able to advise me on this. But I like to imagine that Moses is receiving, like, all of these instructions you know, one at a time. And it's taking a while, right? And like initially you're like, okay, yep, mm -hmm, we got that. Yep, okay, yep, we're still going. Okay, going. Okay, so then Moses has to take it to the people, okay? And then also go, okay, here's what we gotta do, okay? This is a lot to take in, 
So let's say they get the news on Tuesday. Got Wednesday and Thursday to review it, get a plan in order, and then you know Saturday Shabbat, right? Uh, how do you think it went on Sunday? How do you think that first week went? <laughs> like not well, right? Um, honestly, it's just funny. I would I would pay money to see a movie all about like just the Israelites trying to figure that part out because it would just be hysterical, right? They put blood on the wrong organs, and it gets someone gets really offended, and they accidentally submitted like the wrong limb into the burnt offering, like it's a whole thing, right? So I, I find that eye-opening in and of itself, right? Because God wasn't handing this, I mean, he'd already been through the garden, right? He knew how this worked with people, okay? He wasn't expecting them to get all this and be like, yeah, they'll get it. I've made it really clear. I've really made it clear. You should be able to handle this. I can read a recipe and still mess up a step. It's right in front of me. And then I add a teaspoon instead of a tablespoon, or worse, a tablespoon instead of a teaspoon, right? So like, we just have the incredible propensity to mess everything up, even when it's been outlined so clearly. So I think that's really important because when they're receiving all of this information, what do you think their eyes were doing? Are you serious, man? Like, really? Really? All of this? all Every day? Every week? Seriously? Okay, and so I like to thank God as seeing the eyes and going, okay, but I already brought you out of Egypt. You're already here. I'm dwelling amongst you. Okay, let's get going again in the next round of whatever, right? But I think that was served as a very special reminder to them, right? It's important. It's like God somehow knew how to read the room on that one, okay? But not somehow. Obviously, God knew how to read the room on that one, <laughs> right? Um, and so I think that's really important to recognize that God was saying, I emancipated you already, I am here amongst you, and now we're going to do this together. We're going to learn about this together, okay? So Shannon pointed out that this is super countercultural to what they were expecting from gods and rulers at the time, which was, you know, prove your devotion to me. Do everything right. I might redeem you, but you're still probably never going to be good enough to, like, actually approach me, right? And that's completely opposite of what God was doing for them. Emancipation first declaration of them as his chosen people, and then proclaiming that they will dwell together forever, right? So God's making promises for what God will do in these verses. And so Laura mentioned that the message interpretation is really powerful, very mission-oriented. So I'll read that briefly. I'll move in and live with the Israelites. I'll be their God. They'll realize that I am their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live with them. I am God your God. Here we see a breakdown of walls, a physical breakdown of walls, and then a promise to remain together. So this all really reminded me of the running theme in Lilo and Stitch. So has everybody seen that movie? Okay, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, but be warned, you'll need tissues. Um, so there's a little creature in the movie called Stitch, and Stitch has only ever known abandonment and being an outcast its entire life. That's all Stitch has known. And um, Lilo, the little girl in the movie, teaches him what ohana means. And she explains that ohana means family, and family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. And so by the end of the movie, Lilo, uh, Stitch is now repeating that back to others, explaining to them. And so having received that example of what does family mean and then giving it back is really a theme that I think we see in scripture, right? And that's God in these verses saying, 
this is what family means. I'm here with you. So Laura also described something that I think it was your former advisor who said, maybe, um, that, that really God's mission that we see throughout the entire Bible is the saying of, I'll leave my place, I'll come to your place, I'll take your place, and then we'll go to my place. And we definitely see the first two parts of that very clearly in Exodus, that I'll leave my place and I'll come to your place. God gets in with the Israelites. The second two parts really shine through in the prophecy and the fulfillment of Jesus coming, right? Um, throughout scripture, God reminds us through stories and prophecies about Emmanuel, God with us. John's gospel that states, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And all the way we see it through Revelation as well as God promising and this vision of God dwelling amongst the people in the new heaven and the new earth, right? So these stories and this particular verse really highlight that God is going to go to great lengths to be with God's people, even if they are oppressed, even if they are captive. In fact, God says that God brought the people out of Egypt so that God could dwell among them, okay? Not brought the people out of Egypt so they could dwell with God. God brought them out so God could dwell with them, okay? Which is going to be really key for the next, like, couple of decades while they're wandering, right? So it's good to know that God was already planning ahead to say, I am dwelling with you, right? Not you're trying to make it to me. So to be honest, I don't fully understand why God had to bring them out of Egypt in order to do this. This is one of my pain points in these verses, right? God's omnipotent. God can do whatever God wants, right? Um, I don't really get it. Um, the best guess for me is that reminder that we get throughout scripture about we can't serve two gods, we can't serve God and the empire. Um, and, you know, given the Israelite circumstances, there was really no way for them to engage in any kind of worship or relationship with God at that time while being under the Egyptians' control. Um, so God needed to remove them from their slavery so that they could have this relationship with God rather than Pharaoh and the empire. And so when I think about modernizing the Israelite story of captivity and emancipation, I can't help but relate the experiences um, to that of the enslaved African Americans in our country. Um, this is not gonna be a perfect metaphor, metaphor at all. Um, and frankly, it's very imperfect because I don't understand it largely. Um, this group is very well known for having a very strong spiritual connection to God despite suffering, in the midst of suffering. Um, and this is where it really gets messy for me. I don't really understand why God didn't step in for this group and say, you're coming out with me. I don't, I don't get it. Um, maybe we have to look back to that previous lesson that Betty gave where she talked about this was really um, God's first meet-cute with the Israelites. They didn't know God in a way of community. God had to reach down and show them, this is who I am. Um, and, you know, after that, we had stories, and then we had Jesus freeing everybody, right, all captives, and then we had the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that's why. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you have an answer. Maybe you have an idea. This one's, this one's hard for me, but um, I think it's an important part of this verse. I just don't really understand it. So maybe you can think on that. So God's not expecting the Israelites to earn the grace and the presence and the emancipation. God is giving it freely. But we do see a lot of expectations and guidelines and recommendations and rules in Exodus in these verses. Okay? 
it almost seems like there are some strings attached to the emancipation. Um, but uh, Alex pointed out in our teaching meeting that these verses are really about showing how one must be intentional about this relationship. So let's not view it as strings, but as a somewhat of, of a guidebook for how we are engaging in a healthy relationship. So they have to work at this relationship to keep it building because taking it casually is going to result in very poor outcomes, frankly. Um, and so they didn't earn the emancipation. They didn't earn the freedom, but they certainly had to continue actively engaging in it um, and in this new relationship. And so this reminds me of like when you get married and people are like, don't forget to keep dating, right? And like uh, the number of times I had to roll my eyes at that. I think that was like the piece of, biggest piece of advice we got from everybody. Like, don't quit dating. And like on our budget, yeah, we're, okay, sure. You know, but um, I think, I mean, the point of that is that you can't create um, a big gesture of commitment and then be done, right? Um, I think the relationships that try to make something out of that don't do very well, right? There is a continuous engagement, a continuous learning about one another. And I think that a lot of Exodus's rules were about learning to engage in that relationship, learning about both parties and one another. So um, you can see that God created a massive commitment by emancipating them, but actually he was making good on a commitment from previously. He promised Abraham that there would be blessed nations from him, right? Promised Abraham that they would be freed from captivity, that they would have riches and land and security. So God was already in the middle of this commitment and making good on it. This was just one step in that process. So God is saying that the commitment, emancipation, and relationship are all really folded together to be functional. So sort of like a French braid, or if you're watching the Great British Baking Show, like a tidy plait, um, or Leah's hair this morning, right? Uh, we've got three things intertwined, and when they're done well, they're structurally secure, and they're very beautiful. Right? So very functional. There's a lyrical genius um, that I'm a big fan of by the name of Taylor Swift who wrote a song about a relationship breakdown that happened because love was tolerated and not celebrated. And that's really what we're looking at here, right? God showed love in the emancipation, but then gave a lot of very interesting advice on how it could be celebrated and grown into right? It's, I think that that's what a lot of Exodus is. It's God explaining how to not just tolerate God's big gesture, right? It's about growing the relationship because a mandated relationship is not healthy, but also neither is a passive one, right? So how do we really relate this to today? Okay, we're not the Israelites. In fact, we've had a lot of discussions that have kind of indicated that we might be more on the Egyptian empire side of things at times. But I do think you could make the argument that given the circumstances, we can be both, right? We can experience both of those things. Um, and so no matter where we're falling on that, we can identify ways in which we are both subject to and serving the empire at any given time, okay? But God wants to bring us out of that, both being oppressed and being the oppressors. God offers freedom for that. But the expectation is that a relationship is forged, right? Um, but that's the only expectation. We can't earn it, but we can lean into the relationship. 
So I want to be super clear about this, that God is not expecting perfection, right? God did not expect everyone to hear all of Exodus and say, yeah, okay, we'll get this first go around. In fact, all signs point to the fact that they did not get it in maybe any go round. So, <laughs> and yet God still promised the freedom. In fact, God led with the freedom. There was no expectation. So the fact that God inserts verses 45 and 46 in the midst of this part of Exodus, I think is significant. And it kind of goes back to what Alex mentioned for the previous teaching week. And that was, it's about the destination, not perfection, right? So it's about that, that adventure, right? So God's giving us all of this information that's overwhelming, but then he's looking at us and saying, but I, I've, I've got you. I've been spotting you this whole time. I'm going to keep spotting you. I'm not leaving. We're on this adventure together. And then we're going to celebrate when you nail that skill, right? So like the Israelites, God can see our affliction and can enact amazing wonders to show how much God cares about all of the people that are oppressed, whether it's us or our neighbor. So these acts care. These acts of care results um, of freedom, but the freedom isn't the end. God gives us purpose and a path to forge this relationship forward. There's no end goal to a relationship. You never look at that person across from you that you've invested in and said, yep, I'm good. That's it. That's all I need, right? To truly care means to keep engaging and keep learning. And so God is not asking people to come and worship me per perfectly because I freed you. That's not the request. It's a communal thing to keep engaging and staying in the tent together, dwelling amongst this chaos. They were on the adventure together just like we are. They were ohana, which means family, and family is not left behind or forgotten. So as the worship team and uh, Betty and Logan come up for communion, I'll mention um, that we're all welcome to this table, okay? We don't have to earn it. Frankly, we can't, right? But everyone is welcome. There's nothing you need to do to earn it, so just please come up if you feel comfortable and receive this symbolic body and blood of Christ. And I'll remind you that um, we also think about what we might be able to offer, okay? None of us are without need. None of us are without something to give. So as we take communion, I'll prompt the following questions. What has God redeemed us from? Or what do we need to allow God to redeem us from? What are our walls? Who are our captors? Or how are we standing in the way of God's freedom for others? Are we pitting rules and relationship against one another? Or are we celebrating God's love and enriching the relationship through our declaration and devotion? Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. If you would like to give, you can go to gracechurchnwa.org forward slash give. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.